Welcome to Succession Stories, insights for next generation entrepreneurs. I'm Lori Barkman. I've spent my career bringing an entrepreneurial approach to mature companies struggling with change. As an outside executive of a third generation, 120 year old company, I was part of a long-term succession plan. Now I work with entrepreneurs, privately held companies and family businesses to develop innovations that create enterprise value and transition plans to achieve their long-term goals. On this podcast, listen in while I talk with entrepreneurs who are driving innovation and culture change. I speak with owners who successfully transitioned their company and others who experienced disappointment along the way. Guests also include experts in multi-generational businesses and entrepreneurship. If you are a next-generation entrepreneur looking for inspiration to grow and thrive, or an owner who can't figure out the best way to transition their closely held company, this podcast is for you. When you face your biggest ownership and leadership transition decisions, will you be ready? Most owners feel as if they are pushed out of their business, but the happiest exits occur when there are more factors pulling you towards your next. That's why I'm offering a way for you to evaluate your readiness on a personal level. Go to getmyprescore.com. Take our online survey. It just takes eight minutes to complete and you'll receive a custom report of your personal readiness to exit your business including a summary of unseen factors that could lead to regret. In addition, you'll receive a free ebook, The Exit Checklist, a five-step personal action plan for a happy and lucrative exit from your business. Your score means getting closer to your next chapter, whatever, wherever that may be. Visit getmyprescore.com. You might be surprised by the statistic that 50% of business owners are unhappy after the sale of their company. Dan Schieferstein is a serial entrepreneur who scaled up and sold three companies. He would describe himself as being in the half that felt satisfied afterwards. Even though these were successful exits, Dan learned what would have been better. Now he works with business owners on developing an exit plan for selling their company, increasing their likelihood of success and happiness. Dan Schieferstein, welcome to Succession Stories. You and I met recently through the Exit Planning Institute chapter in Pittsburgh, and I just have really enjoyed getting to know you. You're a super great guy, and I think we have a kindred spirit. I'm so glad to welcome you on the show today. Thank you, Lori. Good to be here. So let's start by talking about you and your background. Where did you grow up? I grew up in a small town in northern Ohio, Amherst, Ohio. Yeah, so I spent the first, oh, 28 years of my life in that area. Great uh, 50s, 60s kind of childhood, just like TV. And uh, all of my family and my wife's family is from there. So, yeah, that, that was the world as I knew it, as North Yeah. So a lot of people I talk to on the show, I find that there's an entrepreneurial gene. I <laughs> have a theory about that. Where yeah. you are an entrepreneur, were there entrepreneurs in your family? Uh, yes. My grandfather started a business in the 20s in Lorraine, Ohio, an insurance agency, Sheeperstein Insurance, a very original brand at that time. <laughs> and he was someone, obviously, I knew it was my grandfather. And as a young person, and my dad and his brother went into that business in the you know, mid-50s, 60s. And that was my childhood, my life. It was being part of a family business, not working, obviously, but they didn't put you behind the desk to no. uh, seal envelopes or anything? We visit on weekends and, you know, 
hang around and stuff like that. But, but uh, you were no, used to seeing it. the name on the door. You were used to seeing that identity yeah. as an entrepreneur yeah. and having that, you know, you're like, oh, I recognize your name, right? You're part of that <laughs> yeah. insurance family, right? Yeah. And, and you know what? I really have to say that a difference was my father never encouraged us. I had two other brothers. It was five children that he had, still has, and never encouraged us to go into his business. And really? Yeah. Why do you think I, it is? Well, I think because there was five of us, and then he had a brother okay. who had yeah. three others, and we were okay. all within six years, you know, so there wasn't just enough room to go around. And I really am glad about that obviously, because I got all the revealing of the business life of being an owner, an entrepreneur, without being shoved into a piece of a puzzle, being insurance or Lorraine, Ohio, yeah. or anything like that. Yeah, you weren't like locked into something. Exactly. I, I always felt that I would be an independent business person someday, somehow. I don't know. It's okay. not like I went out searching for it. They didn't have those entrepreneurial it was classes there for then. You. Right, yeah. right. I, I had the image of running your own show because that's here again what my dad did. So yeah, I really uh, thank him for that, not knowing how deliberate it was. <laughs> they set the stage in for you to have the interest. So tell us your entrepreneurship story. How did you get into business? What were the most significant companies experiences that you'd like to share? I guess my first business experience and first company was absolutely my favorite and most formative. And after I got out of business school, I went to Cincinnati and I was sort of a sales engineer type guy because in a marketing bent. But the reason was is because that's about the as a biology major and a business guy, it's sort of like the only thing you can really sort of qualify for is this sort of talking to other engineers and being able to communicate with them. As I got starting my family, I decided that if I don't get out on my own like right away, I'm gonna be doing this the rest of my life, which was this was in the late 80s and being in the industry was not a it was like Pittsburgh at that time. There was a lot of heavy industry that was not on the upswing, but on the downswing. So I found an opportunity in the Wall Street Journal Opportunity Days. And I don't think they even have that anymore. But this is here again in the late 80s. And it had a uh, advertisement for a national business that I started here in Pittsburgh. And it was a franchise. And I was a third one in the country. And the reason it is attractive to me, because it was like nothing else I'd ever seen. So that's like, uh, check that box on starting a business, try to do something that no one else is doing. So here I came to Pittsburgh, knew absolutely no one, didn't have much of a support group, but it was a great business experience because I was doing something that had very little competition. But and what the was the name of the company? That was Record Masters. And what did and it do? We stored records for hospitals, actually. This was at a time where I knew nothing about record storage. I didn't know anything about information management within hospitals, but it was a simple service concept. You take all the physical paper x-rays records from all the hospitals in Oakland and you know, the surrounding Western Pennsylvania area. We concentrated them in a warehouse on the north side. And then we did 24-7 uh, delivery of those original medical records back to the hospital on a demand basis. So that was 
my only clients, hospitals, that was it. So it was a very specific service to a very specific population. Yeah, that was going to be my observation for the business. And you can tell us how successful it ended up being, but I think it was a good ending here for you on that because you and I have talked about it offline. But what's interesting about it is the niching down, right? You had a specific application. There was a very specific utility and and Mm -hmm. benefit that your specific client niche, which were hospitals, you know, derived, and there was a recurring revenue stream because there was always a need for record management and they have limited space and very expensive space in the hospital. So yeah, I could see how that would take off and, you know, in the right market area. And this was an excellent market area. So that's how I started. It was my first business. You know, I hired my first person. I got my first warehouse. I got my first client. You know, it was all those firsts. And because we were so unique and new, we were inventing the service as we went along. Hate to sound so old, but, you know, I bought the first fax machine for Presby Hospital because it was, they were my first client and it was part of delivering my service. I guaranteed one hour delivery, 24 hours a day. And so a fax machine was just invented then. I think it cost me like $10,000. And they, wow. <laughs> yeah, and it was supposed to go in the ER. And actually, the president of the hospital at that time, which was a long time ago, he actually put it in his office because he didn't have one. So, you know, it was sort of that sharing. And I said, fine, I don't care as long as I have the, uh, you know, as long as it's yeah. used for medical records, I didn't care how much they sent. So it was that type of evolutionary thing with a very low tech service of delivering paper records, but utilizing, you know, whatever technology that, was being evolved right at that time to, to help, you know, facilitate it. So, so it was what ended exciting. up happening with that? Yeah, very exciting. <laughs> what ended up happening with that company? I was part of a, myself, we ended up being 14 uh, locations across the country. I own two of them. And I did a roll up with one of those locations and the other three largest ones in the country and with an investment banker. And that allowed us to get enough resources and go from a lot of small little companies to you know, a $15 million company. And then we bought up the other locations. And then we, event, this was the 90s, now I'm in the 90s. And lo and behold, we uh, sold that group to Iron Mountain, which was trying to get into the healthcare niche. And We owned it, you know, coast to coast. We had, you know, all the hospitals in in most of the major cities. So Iron Mountain was a company that was, at that time, a focused business record company. Okay. So that was how that evolved, you know, from a bunch of little locations, mom and pop businesses, a roll up, and then a eventual... uh, flipped to a public company at that time. They had just gone public. So yeah, it was a great 90s stories. Enjoyed every minute of it. Awesome. That's (laughs) really incredible. And it's a great example. As you said, the tech is different today, but the concepts are still valid, which is finding a market niche, doing it really well, you know, obviously on the financial performance, making sure that you're mm-hmm. you know, you're scaling it, which it sounds like you were, and and, and looking for tech opportunities. It, it makes me chuckle because I think if the fax machine then mm. is almost almost like the razor blade today, right? Yeah. Gillette and their model of they basically gave away the razor blades to yeah. you know sort of yeah. keep you coming. 
So I think I think that's really a great example. What did you do after you sold the company to Iron Mountain? Well, um, I only stayed on after that transit because at, at that time I've been with the business for 10 years approximately. I only stayed in about six more months after that. And then I actually dropped out for a year and uh, traveled with my family around the world and came back. You say back. dropped out. That doesn't sound like a dropout. That sounds like a, I became hey, a homeschool I'm going go ha- <laughs> to go have some fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was one of those, you know, it's sort of that cycle of entrepreneurship where you uh, risk a lot get rewarded. And and now what, you know, okay, now what? I wasn't in the records business as a career move. I was opportunistic about it. I didn't train for it. I didn't know anything about it before I went into it. Um, so it's like you wake up on a, uh, a Monday morning and you're not the president of a company anymore or the CEO or an owner of anything. And uh, so it's, it's a very reflective moment. And uh, so it took me, and I was relatively young, you know, I was in my uh, early 40s at that time. And it took me almost four years before I found another business that I felt I could, uh, you know, have some uh, success with and and scale and and engagement with. And that was when I started moving into the therapy services. Uh, and here again, sort of related to healthcare, but this is my first time actually working with uh, patients and doctors. Um, on the record side, it was all uh, administration and management of hospitals. Never the physician himself, never entered into uh, our contact point. We were just, you know, delivering records, which was a nice way to be. Now, um, was sort of like going from the pan into the fire. So, and I, but I started a uh, physical therapy and pulmonary rehab here in Pittsburgh. Here again, I was approached by some associates. I was trying to be uh, creative, and uh, I called it the, the gentle gentleman farmer type of uh, transition. And um, at that, what does that time, mean, gentleman farmer? Well, you know, it's sort of like, do you really need to? Uh, bring in the crops to live or are you creating a farm for uh, the lifestyle? Okay. okay. So that's where I was sort of looking at at that point. Um, little did I know that I started on, on a road or a path of establishing rehab services that had a uh, adoption rate that was very difficult to uh, scale up. And here again, I've had 10 years previously of a lot of success in, in, in the business. The first three I had forgotten about because those were the zero years where I was yeah. you know, zero, <laughs> zero sales and nobody knew what the heck I was doing. So I was starting that all over again. And sure enough, I find myself after that success with this first company, uh, catering lunches to doctor's offices. I am physically going to the restaurant, picking up bags. And this is before Panera, you know, picking up <laughs> bags of food and taking them because that's how you got to see physicians at that time and um, and promoting this rehab services that I um, uh, had stumbled upon because uh, pulmonary rehab in Pittsburgh was not a uh, widely uh, reimbursed or widely uh, accessible service. But uh, Western Pennsylvania had sort of like the 
third highest rate of COPD in the whole country because just of the demographics of the smoking and the people and the mining and the steel, et cetera. So I thought, oh, there's plenty of patients. They all need this. But uh, what I've heard, this is the fallacy of being a gentleman farmer. What I forgot to do a lot of research on is in regards to the reimbursement. And this is my introduction to healthcare and working with institutions as a uh, insurance. So that was a real eye opener, but um, I forged ahead. I'd been down that road before in regards to trying to establish. And I'm glad to say that company is still operating. Um, there are six locations now here in Western Pennsylvania. Um, I sold that to my general manager after about five years because I decided, gee, I am just not the right guy to be owning a rehab facility. I was too clinical. I was not a clinician. I was more of the scale, the get the office right. space, hire the people. Um, I'm glad it's out there. I'm, I'm proud of that uh, because it does uh, have a great service. Um, but that also led me to the uh, sleep business, uh, which here again, I, I didn't even know about sleep apnea at that time. I was uh, uh, just unaware of that as a, uh, a condition or a diagnosis. And uh, sort of just like I got into the records business in the pulmonary, I had, uh, my medical director said, boy, you should turn this into a uh, sleep clinic. The, my rehab facility. I go, what, what is a sleep clinic? I never heard of that. He says, well, that's where people come here and they get stay all night and, uh, and, and are tested for sleep apnea. And it was one of those things that I realized the ability to utilize a facility, a clinical facility um, during the day for the rehab and at night for the sleep patients. I go, this sounds like a great That's idea. So brilliant. Yeah. yeah so start identifying what, what it takes. And that uh, really took off. And we went from one clinic to about over 20 um, in about five years. Wow. And um, so because sleep apnea at that time was just evolving. And my model was to take it out of the hospital and put it into an outpatient uh, model. Because up to that time, you had to actually be admitted to a hospital to actually get a sleep test. So here again, just a, I didn't invent anything other than moving it. I was the only person who was not a physician or a hospital that owned a sleep clinic. And um, so I looked at it completely different uh, than they did. Uh, yeah. We set we set up our rooms like uh, Marriott hotels with a bottle of water on the side table, and uh, you know that type of thing. So we were able to scale it very quickly and create alignments and partnerships with hospitals and physician groups um, because there was a significant backlog of testing to the demand for testing. And the and, reimbursement side, you had already figured out yes, at that point. <laughs> I was getting smarter. And uh, <laughs> yes. And so that was uh, a, a very dramatic uh, scale up uh, here in uh, in Western Pennsylvania. So, yeah. So that was my, I guess, my That's third. a brilliant way to really leverage the assets that you had because you, you created a 24-7 model. Yeah. Right, pretty much. 
I, not you know, weekends maybe, but, but. Uh, oh yeah. Weekends were big. Weekends too. Weekends were big. For the sleep business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anyways. Yeah. So it was, it was a fun ride. Um, so it was funny. I, I, I put the businesses together and then uh, three years later, I took them apart again because the sleep business got so big, it was crowding out the rehab and that's when I sold okay. the rehab away. And so I just focused on the, uh, on the sleep at that time. So, and what's yeah. the name of the sleep business? Uh, it was Lifeline Sleep and still uh, operating today. So, but uh, Did you sell that business too? Yes, I sold that to my partner at the time. He was the clinical guy. I was the uh, financial um, sales business strategy guy. And right. uh, here again, I, you know, I didn't even know what a, all those squiggly lines meant. I didn't on the computer and the paper that they were measuring. Um, but you didn't have to if you had the right people working with you. And I sold that to to my partner at the end of 2012. Oh, that's um, fantastic. Did you take another family break after <laughs> selling that no, company? No, at that time, everybody's in college. They've had enough of uh, traveling with me. And uh, yeah, so no. Uh, then it was, uh, I went into the advising business. What else do you do after all that? You know. Well, that years. is that is the exploration. <laughs> you, you said it earlier, where you know, after you sold the first company, you took you took you said about four years to figure mm-hmm. out what your next was. Yeah. And so now at this point, you've you know you've worked really hard. You've built these two companies. You've sold them, and now you're thinking about your next. What led you to mm-hmm. conclude that you wanted to be an advisor? And what are you advising? Because um, that leads yeah. us into present day, right? This is how you yeah. got it, getting into, you know, we're going to talk about what you do now with clients yeah. and spoiler alert, you work with clients on exit <laughs> planning. So it's no, yeah. no surprise, but how did you get to that point to take that leap and say, yeah, I want to advise yeah. other business owners on exit planning? Well, you know, when I sold the sleep business, I've been in this position before. It's like, here again, waking up on Monday morning, what am I going to do now? And I did not have a good answer for that. And you'd think I would be a little bit better prepared, um, but I wasn't. And I was actually um, connected uh, to a company that was looking for a transitional president mentor for a, a key individual within the company. And they asked me if I'd be interested. And I, I, I looked at that as my entry into advising, even though I was working for basically the board of directors. And it was the first time I worked for somebody in about 25 years. Um, I thought, you know what, I need to do this. I need to have this kind of transition uh, from being an owner because I don't want to be an owner of anything anymore. I think I'm done with that. So that's how I started, I felt was my entree into advising. Because my role, even though it was very, uh, had a title and it was over 100 employees, et cetera, et cetera, my role was just to be a babysitter to the business and maintain its, you know, integrity, but really mentor someone. And that's really what got me into advising, because that mentoring really I loved the mentoring part. I did a great job of that when I started my business and my own businesses because I'm very much a collaborator. I'm very much a delegator. I'm, you know, I like to be out creating the the need and identifying the need and, and providing the resources to fill it. So 
that's where advising was a great fit for me at that time because now I have a lot of experience I've uh, with a lot of different people and a lot of different ages and a lot of different industries. I am not an industry specific. I, I'm a perfect advisor, master of nothing, uh, dabbled <laughs> in everything, right? Yeah. Um, so that's what led me to advising. And then I went from the uh, mentoring president to a full-time advisor with a very select group of clients where I was more of trying to scale their business and also take young, uh, either generational uh, succession um, so that they can scale up within their new responsibility. Um, and also some startup businesses, two startup businesses and two uh, sort of succession business. So that was my entry into advising. And I did that for about three or four years. And after four years, I'm going like, wow, this, uh, I I had a tendency to be pulled down into the weeds um, because I became very close to those companies and their executive teams. And, you know, I was in there, I didn't have a lot of clients. So I spent a lot of time with a few clients. After about four years of that, I went to one of my my mentors and I said, you know, I'm exhausted. This is a lot of work. And he says, you know, Dan, you should check out exit planning. And I go, just like What's in the that? records, hey, what, what is that? <laughs> what you is know? that? It's so, so like my whole career, I get to these, what is that moments? And he said, that's when you just work with the business owner and prepare them to exit a already established business. And to me, I felt like I've been studying for, for that for the last 20 years because, uh, I really like working with business owners. I think I uh, obviously have a rapport with them, spend a lot of time with them. I am not industry specific. I've gone a lot of different places. And that's when I started investigating what is uh, exit planning and here again, Googling it up and boy, it's a real thing. And uh, that's what led me to where I am now for the last few years, which is hundred uh, percent of my focus is on exit planning and helping gotcha. owners. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I liked how you described exit planning and you and I have had a lot of conversations about this because of where yeah. we <laughs> are in, for each other in the ecosystem. You know, my focus yeah. is on the value building side and you talked a lot yeah. about that scaling up and even the, I liked how you phrased it, generational succession scale up yeah. and, and the innovation side and really getting the business to where it could get to the point of readiness for exit. And there's two sides of that coin. And you addressed yeah. you addressed them for yourself. One was the business readiness side. Mm-hmm. And the other is the owner readiness. Right. And, and you felt this for yourself. And I'm, I'm sure now you see it with clients that it is not easy to be ready, right? And, right. and that Monday morning feeling when after the transaction, we collectively, you and I, we want people to be happy in their next wait, whatever that right. is. We want them to be happy, happy about it. That doesn't always happen. I kind of wanted to talk about that and you can share maybe some from your experience, but also if you have client experiences where there isn't necessarily a clear path to letting go. And, you know, how do you think about that? If someone's listening today and they're thinking, I'm an owner, I'm not ready to let go. This is, this is, you know, hogwash. I'm five (laughs) years away, 10 years away. 
you know, maybe that's that's sort of one set of way to think about it, right? But if yeah. you're maybe closer in, you know, less than five years away, and and your definition, it's very individual. Why you personally would say you're ready, you're not ready, yeah. And yes. what are those things that you've observed in terms of why someone is more or less ready for a transition? A lot of times, it's outside circumstances, and they still personally may feel they're not ready, um, but they feel like they're, you know, face it, we're all going to exit our business sooner or later. And it it's becomes a, a point in time. Um, they get a lot of advisory help, either from family or the advisors around them that you need to lay the foundation. Let's put it that way. And the problem is, and I think the opportunity is, that there is very little descriptions that owners can uh, latch on to, to how to do that. Even p- passing a business on to your executive team and or your family are very, um, it sounds simple because they know the business or they've been in the business or I know you. But that isn't the same as having a successful transition of that business, particularly the more successful the business is or the more complicated the business is or the more employees, et cetera, the more people that depend on the business, the more difficult it is to transition. And unless you have a plan and you have vetted that plan with, you know, the successors and you know, the ramifications of the quote unquote clients or the productivity, quality, all those kinds of things on the business side, there are so many risks that quote unquote pop up. And, you know, every table's got two sides. You know, one is increasing the value to get the highest value for the owner so that they are financially free, we'll say. The other side is the risk side. One's value, the other's risk. How do you diminish or de-risk the business so that when that transition happens, that the eventual owners um, have the most likelihood of succeeding, not just for two years. I mean, their success should last for hopefully decades. So it's not a simple process. And it's not that it hasn't been going on for thousands of years. It has, you know, ever since, you know, the farm to the oldest son type thing. But the the amounts of money and information and dependency in today's business world and the speed of change makes the these transitions much more critical. And I think that there are tools, be they advisors, be they um, processes that have been in place for many years, due diligence, et cetera, to help with that. Yeah, you and I are all about the happy exit. 50% of business owners, after they leave their business a year later, are not happy. (laughs) And that is a a startling percentage. And why is that? I mean, they left on their own accord. It's usually not the money. It's usually personal. It's usually they didn't know what to do next. They weren't ready or they didn't leave the culture the way that, you know, there's all these things. So I think part of the uh, paralysis of planning is the 
amount of variables that you have to deal with in a owner or a founder leaving and or transitioning, both on the business side and the personal side. Like, where do I start? And it's difficult. I've been there. It was a lot easier for me. The younger you are, the easier it is. The older you are, the harder it is. And it's not a surprise. Well, it's about options. And I think it's also about, you know, being happy you're near next to me means you're sort of being pulled into something. You know, you're excited mm-hmm. to go on that other side versus feeling pushed and pushed out of something that feels more negative and feel, could feel more Excellent. like a loss. Very good point. And yes. yeah, that 50% statistic is pretty shocking because you would, you know, you think on the surface, oh, so-and-so sold their company. They must feel great about it. Yeah. And it doesn't always happen That's that way. No. They don't always feel and, great about it. Yeah. And they aren't very verbal about it either. That's why it's one of those things that uh, yeah. <laughs> you don't hear about. Right. Um, so the ability to have an impact on business owners and make them more ready and more aware and happier and lower that uh, unhappy percentage um, is, you know, it, it is available to us. Um, and that's why, you know, what I've been doing the last two years, I just feels so rewarded by because it's not like I work with a lot of people, but the people that I do work with. Um, you can just, you know, they're, they're talking to another business owner. I am not a lawyer. I'm not an investment banker. I'm not a transaction person. I work with them on a monthly basis, meet with them for a few hours here and there. They're busy, but you create that kind of dialogue and that rapport that they really feel like they're getting somewhere that they hadn't been able to address before. They have never talked to someone like me before that, right. uh, that is right. trying to help them with a very personal issue, <laughs> their business. So yeah. 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 no, And you've walked in their shoes and you can understand sort of the emotional side. There's an emotional side to this for sure, as well as the business side, yeah. you know, winding down here, a couple of last questions for you. Mm-hmm. As you've talked to owners certainly over the last year, you know, with the pandemic in your conversations, what are you hearing about owner readiness? Are you finding that the timing of their readiness has shifted? I've seen some data (laughs) that is showing that there is a shift and I'll I'll share what I am hearing after you share what you're hearing. Yeah. What we're hearing is that, um, yes, there's an acceleration. Um, The business values and the uh, 2019 Complacency is the wrong word, but those were, you know, we were on 10 years of of a great run of business growth and business owners are human like all of us. As long as everything's going really well, I'm just going to why leave or why change. Um, The last year has been dramatic and now everybody is uh, looking at the risks of their business. And and that is a, a big motivator. Uh, for business owners to try to start a process to at least control or start identifying um, the issues that might put their business at risk or their exit at risk. Um, so yeah, it's really accelerated things and a lot more activity. That's consistent with what I'm hearing too. This yeah. is data from the the value builder company that I work with. And we should mention that you're working with Navix and you're getting a lot of your data from Navix as well as from your conversations one-on-one. Yeah. So the value builder survey showed that as well, that essentially mm-hmm. the timeline, and it was a significant change in, in mindset. It was more of a pull in, like they're they're ready, more ready now-ish, right? Within mm-hmm. five years, as opposed to 
you know, more on the later side that that timing had sort of shifted in. And some of that reasoning was because business owners have gone through the 2008, 2009 recession, Mm -hmm. now gone through this and they're really ready. They don't want to go through another, (laughs) you know, recession. A lot of unknowns. A lot of unknowns. So yeah, that is definitely consistent. So last question for Mm -hmm. you is really around I want to make sure that we cover everything. So let me just ask you a general question. Is there anything that we didn't cover today that you'd like to share? As a uh, summary of business owners who are the ones I think listen to your podcast is uh, it's never too early to start planning a transition. The more you understand about the elements, the better off you'll be, which is That's planning 101. Your wealth manager will tell you that. Your uh, parents have told you that for years before. As a parent, you tell your children that. So I guess as an advisor, I think that's the one thing I will put out there to all business owners. Get started on some type of planning. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. And I think the corollary with that is make sure you write it down because a plan that's in your head is not a plan. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's That's great. It's a good uh, insight. It's good insight. And so very last question for you, Dan, yeah. it's been mm-hmm. it's been great to talk to you today. Thanks. Do you have a favorite quote that you'd like to share about entrepreneurship? <laughs> um, well, I, I'm going to, it was very basic and it was given to me by a, uh, a husband of an, an associate who owned a business also. And he pointed out to me something that I just, I was probably in my thirties at that time. And he said, Dan, every business has a birth, a life, and a death. And I looked at him because I, you know, I was in an MBA school. I'm a young guy. Um, I dealt with numbers and products and widgets and services. But to humanize that life cycle of a business that way, that is something that's always stuck with me. And so I wasn't, it really made me more of a better business owner because it is a life cycle of a business. And you don't have to look at it as all the, uh, the metrics, um, but as something you have founded, gave birth to. Um, you scale it or you give it life and you bring it to whatever type of conclusion. And then the exit or the death, whatever that may be, it doesn't mean it's going out of business. It can be a lot of different transitions, but that is sort of that uh, definition of death. And that's something that uh, I guess that's why I've had so many businesses in my life. I've always seen that as a positive thing and not as a negative thing. That fits you to a T, a very positive (laughs) person. Before we go to, if you want to share, how how can people find you and connect with you. And then also, because we didn't talk a lot about Navix, when just mm-hmm. to kind of put a, a little bit of an underline on, on who they are and, and, yeah. and how you're associated with them and if, how would people learn more about Navix? Yeah, um, you can reach me in my DLS advising uh, website, which mentions the Navix brand uh, significantly. I am an independent consultant for them. They are my back office. They have all my intellectual property, or I I use their intellectual property for my processes. And they've been in this for 25 years. They're great. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel with a lot of things um, with dealing with businesses. Um, That's my association with Navix. And where I am in my career, it's exactly what I want. I, I want to deal with the business owner. I don't want to deal with all the the assessments and the uh, 
should I say the deliverables that we present, um, they help create those for me. So that's my Wonderful. association with them and it works great. Wonderful. Real happy. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. All right. Well, thank you, Dan. It's been a pleasure speaking with you on Thanks, air. Man. We talk off yeah. air all the time <laughs> and uh, you look forward to you yeah. know getting to know you even more after today, of course, and, yeah. and having yeah. the audience learn about you and learn about exit planning. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, Lauren. It's a pleasure. It really was. Take care. Innovation, transition, growth. Easy to say, but hard to do. If you're an entrepreneur facing these challenges, I get it. I work with businesses from small to big to achieve your vision. Visit smalldotbig.com to learn more. I'd love to connect with you. Subscribe to Succession Stories. And if you enjoy the show, please share a rating and review. Thanks for listening.